Okay, so good day everyone. Welcome to Bridgem Indonesia webinar series Navigating Supply Chain Disruptions in the Time of COVID-19. I am Asti, Events Coordinator at Bridgem Indonesia. And this webinar Bridgem, this Bridgem webinar series is proudly supported by GPE. And today we are delighted to welcome our three panelists, Chris Buono, Managing Director of UPS Philippines and Indonesia, Lisa Widodo, Executive Vice President Operations at Blibli.com, and last but not least, Ivy Kamajaya, Deputy CEO of PT Kamajaya Logistics. And this session will be moderated by Ansley Main, Chairman of Bicham Indonesia. And before we start, allow me to review the functionality of this webinar. Please be informed that today's webinar is being recorded and we will be able to share a link with you when it's available after the event is complete. All the in participants will be muted to avoid background noises that may distract you from listening to this webinar and also to enable our panelists to present without interruption. And if you have any questions, please type them into the Q&A box at any time. It is at the bottom center of your screen and we will have time for Q&A session at the end to answer your questions. Okay, now without further ado, I'm going to hand the screen over to Chris Ren, the Executive Director of Bridgem Indonesia, who is going to start today's webinar. Thank you very much, Asti. Um, thank you also to Jipe, our partner for this particular webinar, Navigating Supply Chain Disruptions in the Time of COVID-19. Um, it's great to see once again so many uh, non-members of Bridgem taking a look at some of the opportunities to gain intelligence and business information from the Bridgem platforms. Welcome to you. Um, also to our speakers, to Chris, to Lisa, to Ivy, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And with that, really, I would just like to hand over the baton on this occasion to the Bridgem chairman, uh, Ainsley Mann, who will be moderating, talking us through uh, a Q&A, and uh, I'll be back at the end to, to wrap up. Thank you, Ainsley. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, over the last two or three months, many of us have had our, our lives somewhat disrupted by the impact of COVID-19, but three people who were doing their very best to, to try and ensure that, that the disruption was, was uh, minimal, um, I'm very pleased to have here today. Supply chain is, is a critical part to everyone's lives. I, I was, I've been quite staggered by how much I've been able to order online, receive on time, Sa uh, the same with my business. Uh, goods that we've been ordering have been coming in on time. So although whilst a lot of people have been working from home, um, the three rep corporate representatives today, many of their people have been working hard throughout this, this period to deliver products as and when required to, to us as consumers and to us as, as businesses. Um, there has been quite a bit of supply chain disruption um, across the globe, and we'll, no doubt we'll hear, hear a bit more about that. In terms of Indonesia, there's always one statistic that really staggers me about logistics, and that is the estimate of between 25 and 30% of GDP is somehow caught up in logistics costs in Indonesia. 
that figure would be more than double Malaysia. And I think um, in, in many developed markets, that figure would be 5%. So actually, when I think about it, Mr. Chris Rain, we should have probably done a lot more webinars on, on supply chain and logistics because it's such a critical cost component to many businesses here. Uh, what I'd like to do now is to briefly introduce our speakers. And I'm very pleased that I'll start with Chris Bono. He's currently the managing director of UPS in both Indonesia and the Philippines. Chris is currently in, in Manila. Um, prior to his appointment as, as managing director, he was vice president of technology for UPS in the Asia Pacific region. And uh, interestingly, one of the projects he looked after was a project I was very involved with, and that was the Beijing Olympics. He was responsible for a lot of the IT infrastructure uh, development of the Beijing Olympics. And at the time, I was uh, looking after our Coca-Cola operation up in, in, in North China and supplying the Olympics. So I'm sure Chris and I must have come across each other then. Chris began his career in UPS in 2003. Prior to that, he actually uh, was a bit of an entrepreneur. And prior to that, he uh, worked for a software company focusing on supply chain solutions and warehouse management solutions. So I think, Chris, you've got over 20, over 20 years experience in supply chain and logistics. Um, I very much look forward to hearing from you today. Um, following Chris will be two ladies who are at the forefront of supply chain and logistics here in, in Indonesia. Maybe they'll take the opportunity to challenge Chris and some of these points, I hope so, to make things lively. The, uh, our first lady, Lisa Widodo, she's the Executive Vice President of Operations at Bleebly.com. Now, if I read out um, the functions that Lisa's responsible uh, for, I think you'll be quite staggered. She manages the operational task of the company from payment, risk management, supply chain management, warehouse and fulfillment operations, logistics and delivery, customer service and management, operations research, total quality, data analytics, business intelligence, process re-engineering, and process improvements. So I assume Lisa's daily job is extremely busy. Uh, previously, she also held positions as Executive Vice President of Product Management in Bleebly for more than six years. She was responsible for building product, product strategy, product roadmaps, synergizing across business unit, users, engineers, sales teams, program managers to deliver the right solutions and deliver the best user experience for the customers. She's got 20 years of experience working with multinationals. They would include Citibank, ANZ, uh, Bayer Corporation, to mechanical engineer. Um, she graduated as a Master of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, Lisa has also held UX certification from Nielsen and the Norman Group, as well as product management certification from the University of California, Berkeley, Haas School of Business. So that's quite a, quite a list of accomplishments there. And finally, uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Ivy Kamajaya from Surabaya. Ivy is the deputy CEO of Kamajaya Logistics, which is one of the premier logistics companies in Indonesia. They operate throughout the country. Uh, I think they provide services for many of the household brand names that we're all very familiar with. Um, and Ivy uh, has an awful lot of experience in this area and she, uh, 
couple of weeks ago, she was explaining to me some of the demands and the operational changes that have been forced on logistics companies. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Interestingly, outside of her work, Ivy is the honorary counsel for the UK government in Surabaya. And for Surabaya. Um, she graduated from a Bachelor's of Business from the University of Technology Australia and has had years and years of experience in this business field. She's also won notable awards such as the Bronze Stevies Award for Women in Business in New York and Marketeer of the Year in Surabaya. She has made countless appearances in seminars, TV programs, radio shows, and has been featured in magazines and print media such as Forbes and Globe Asia. So we have a bit, an excellent cast today and they cover many aspects of, of the, the supply chain between them. So I'm looking forward to a very engaging seminar. What, we, what, what we've asked is that Chris uh, gives a presentation and really sets the scene, um, reflects on some of his experiences over the last two or three months, uh, maybe paints a bit of a picture as to how he, thinks, he sees things may be progressing in the future. So Chris, uh, I'd like to, to hand over to you and then after that we'll move into the Q&A and discussion. Great. Um, thank you, Angeli. I, I do appreciate it. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm really pleased to join uh, you on this panel discussion with Lisa and Ivy to talk about navigating supply chain disruptions during the ongoing pandemic. Uh, big thanks to Britcham in Indonesia for bringing us all together today uh, to really discuss the most pressing logistics issues that are facing businesses. So if you're not aware, UPS uh, does enable commerce around the world. We are present in more than 220 countries and territories around the globe. And as a result of that reach, we are able to have a bird's eye view of the impact that the coronavirus has had over the past few months. Uh, the air cargo services we offer have been playing quite a pivotal role in ensuring that the time critical shipments, whether life-saving medical supplies, pieces for urgent repairs, or inputs into the global supply chains, reach their destinations in a safe and timely fashion. So during exceptional times such as this, we remain committed to serve our customers in all regions by leveraging our network, with some exceptions, we're constrained by government restrictions. So give me an opportunity to set the scene for what we think most business owners are kind of going through right now. So as we all know, coronavirus has disrupted the world in an unprecedented manner, apart from its immense physical and mental and social impact on individuals and families and communities, we do need to consider the disease's far-reaching and enduring impacts on economies and supply chains around the world. So recall that in January, the crisis was still limited to within China and parts of Asia and not really as widespread yet. And around Jan late January and early February, we really started to see cases appearing in many more countries. And then bans on travel to and from China started to spread. Under normal circumstances, roughly half of global air cargo capacity is what we call belly cargo. This is where cargo is shipped actually in the belly of a passenger aircraft. And because of these travel bans and flight cancellations, we started seeing capacity reductions initially limited to intra-Asia and those from Asia to other regions. We saw intra-Asia capacity went down by 54% in the week of February 12th compared to January 25th through the 31st. Contrast this with the final week of March. By this time, more governments had not only imposed travel bans, 
but more of them began imposing a state of emergency and some form of city or countrywide quarantine or lockdown of the actual population. France, Britain, and India imposed their lockdowns. The EU began to bar any travelers from outside the bloc. And the U.S. on March 26 became the country with the highest number of coronavirus cases. All this had had an unprecedented impact on global air cargo capacity. So compared to last year, all trade lanes across the world started seeing double-digit declines. And most key trade lanes have lost more than 30%. Some even lost 60% of their capacity. And by the end of March, passenger belly capacity went down by 80%. This meant only 20% were still flying. And the shortfall was barely made up by airline and express freighters like UPS. Needless to say, this pandemic had pretty much decimated commercial travel within weeks. With passenger flights down by 80%, it was all the more critical that the flow of air cargo continues moving to support critical pandemic and commercial needs, as well as keeping supply chains resilient. So what we're going to look at in the next two, charts, the next two charts shows where we are today in terms of air cargo capacity. In the recent weeks, we've been seeing a new steady state of a 26% decline compared to the same time period last year. Trade lanes to and from Asia continue to see higher capacity than the global average. We're also seeing a tapering of capacity from China following its strong, its strong growth in April as a result of PPE demand globally. Despite this, China still remains the leader in outbound international cargo capacity. Its current air cargo capacity stands at 7% above January levels. Contrast this with the U.S. and the U.K., which are still down at minus 38 and minus 54% respectively year on year. So while global air cargo capacity seems to have settled, settled into a new equilibrium, it is clear that we have not returned to pre-pandemic business as usual levels just yet. Countries have only cautiously begun to reopen their economies with those that shut down quickly, like New Zealand, Korea, Taiwan, and Denmark, now almost fully reopened. The epicenter at the moment is Latin America, with cases in Brazil, Chile, and Ecuador still climbing, and peaks not predicted until the next few weeks at the earliest. In Indonesia, the government is formulating a five-phase strategy to ease the large-scale social restriction measures, otherwise known as PSBB. It is currently targeting a complete reopening by late July or early August. Different parts of the country are easing their restrictions on varying timelines. For example, Jakarta's new normal transition commenced on June 5th, while areas like Bogor, Depok, and Bekasi are only set to ease on July 2nd. Surabaya recently announced its transition to the new normal from June 9th to the, to, to the 22nd, after being on PSBB since April 28th. Domestic passenger flights are now allowed, However, they do operate on a limited schedule and with some restrictions. So, what are the realities faced by, the, by businesses as a, result, as a result of all this? On the macroeconomic front, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, is looking at a 6% contraction for the global economy in 2020 as a result of the pandemic disrupting global supply chains as well as international trade. Should there be a second wave, 
of the infection, a 7.6% contraction is expected with recovery falling well short of pre-crisis levels by the end of 2021. So the prospects are quite sobering. And underlying this are the supply chain issues that businesses are facing on the ground as a result of the unprecedented disruption. So let's take a look at some of these main challenges and trends that businesses are actually seeing. So as we talked about earlier, reduced air freight capacity. Next slide. So global air cargo traffic, as we said, plunged drastically as a result of the pandemic, and it is still down 26% year on year. Common carriage, air freight capacity, coupled with the surge in medical cargo has put a complete strain on the supply chains of many, many businesses. Workforces working remotely. So the pandemic has also disrupted multiple nodes in the supply chain for many businesses. Some industries like manufacturing just can't work from, from home, right? Lockdowns have halted many production lines due to stay-at-home workforces. Affected suppliers upstream also contributed to rising costs from a shortage of raw materials, with some businesses even shifting to secondary production sites or backup suppliers in other regions as a result. Number three, closure of retail shops. Lockdown measures in many regions have also shuttered brick-and-mortar establishments. Faced with the prospect of either halting their operations entirely or shifting exclusively online, we have seen companies big and small alike not only accelerate their pivot to digital channels during this lockdown, but also looking at new sources of revenue, such as clothing manufacturers shifting towards production of cloth face masks as a PPE alternative. Number four, e-commerce fulfillment changes. So this is a natural progression from the shift to e-commerce combined with a work-from-home population. Uh, as Angelie said, he's been ordering quite a lot at home and probably propping up his local e-commerce markets as we speak. Um, with consumer shopping migrating online, UPS even saw an e-commerce volume growth of almost 12% internationally, with the U.S. seeing a 19% rise during the first quarter. Businesses that were used to traditional wholesale distribution models were now faced with the challenge of shipping the products to consumers directly and now in quite a large volume. And lastly, increase in demand for critical healthcare products. The global demand, as we have seen from medical supplies, equipment, PPEs, protective masks, gloves, ventilators, and virus test kits necessitates specialized healthcare shipping solutions. This often means end-to-end -end supply chain visibility for temperature-sensitive cargo, such as test kits and their constituent chemical reagent, which in turn requires specialized service providers. So as we can see, the pandemic and its knock-on effects of lockdowns and movement restrictions have wreaked havoc on global supply chains and economies. It is going to take a combined effort from governments, corporations, businesses, and individuals to overcome what might be the greatest threat to our generation. So I'm proud to say that UPS has absolutely been on the front lines of this effort. We are doing our utmost to help businesses work around their challenges with a variety of solutions to utilize at our disposal. So from helping businesses accelerate their shift to online distribution models, to even automating customs processes and paperwork so that businesses can still continue to operate even when their workforce is actually not physically present, there has been a tireless effort to continue to ensure that we keep these supply chains moving. So truly, the pandemic has impacted what we do in so many ways. 
Travel bans, new restrictions have created a patchwork of requirements that we now have to navigate. And this is especially complex when you're managing a global network. An issue affecting one specific node of our network now has ripple effects on the entire network. So we have to tackle these all the time in normal circumstances, but the pandemic has generated issues in multiple places all at the same time. In spite of the difficulty, we and our partners in the industry, I truly feel, have risen to that challenge. We have had to continue to work with governments to secure solutions that allow us to continue to deliver our service. We've added capacity of more than 200 flights to keep critical supply chains moving. And for the final mile, most governments have designated our service as essential, including in Indonesia. And so we're allowed to continue delivering every day. So having been granted these exemptions, we recognize that we have both the privilege and a responsibility as an essential service to continue operating during this challenging period. And UPS has and will continue to remain, continue, remain committed to working with governments and businesses to pull us through this challenging time. So in closing, I want to share a couple key takeaways before moving to hear the diverse industry views from all of our esteemed panelists. The depth and magnitude of this whole episode has caught up many of us by surprise, and or organizations are really looking inward. So preparing for the next black swan event, as we call it, ultimately means businesses need to consider more than just the business as usual scenarios and plan for disruptive events with really speed and agility. Areas such as risk management, existing vendor networks, business continuity plans, they're all under microscopes now as companies try to navigate their way through this pandemic. And while there are certainly short-term challenges and opportunities for organizations, taking the long view in a post-coronavirus world really means us revisiting business continuity plans and calibrating for the next big disruption with increased flexibility and confidence. So I want to take a moment to thank everyone for listening. I do appreciate the opportunity to present you know, what we have today. And Angel, I'm going to turn it over to you to facilitate the Q&A session. Thank you very much. Chris, I've got a quick question for you. You, you operate in two archipelagos, and are therefore right. slightly more unique circumstances than maybe some of your other counterparts around the world. In terms of the air freight capacity reduction, for example, is that more pronounced in places like the Philippines and, and Indonesia domestic, because of the domestic reductions? Uh, I mean, it's definitely been global for sure, um, but domestically, especially here in the Philippines, you know, for the first couple months of the what we call the enhanced community quarantine, that was really the initial lockdowns that we saw in mid-March up through to just about three or four weeks ago, all the domestic capacity was basically taken down. Um, mm -hmm. So we had to, you know, we were resorting to some, uh, some sea freight, you know, even domestically within the country you know, just to be able to get packages to and from areas like Mindanao and, and, and Visayas. Um, Indonesia, you know, we've had the opportunity to use domestic fleets um, through some of our local partners, but still it has been a challenge in a lot of key areas for sure. Uh, Ivy, you operate throughout Indonesia and you obviously use multiple modes of, of transport. Where have you seen the biggest challenges and how have you been able to cope Right. Uh, thank you, Ansley, for you know inviting uh, me today, and uh, good to hear about you know what happened with the um, with the Chris earlier with the UPS. And I, I think in the um, in terms of the logistics that we 
we experience, you know, not far, we, we experience the same because like uh, as a 3PL here, that we really actually depends on two things here. So it depends on the uh, trade and uh, industry. So for the past actually a few months um, before this, because um, I think COVID starting, you know, um, here in March, but earlier in um, December and January, we have another issue actually earlier when we, you know, when China have a lockdown in Wuhan and everything, so we have a difficulty earlier. We have a challenge, um, you know, with the export and import and everything. But later on, I think in March, when the, um, you know, the coronavirus um, become a big issue here in Indonesia, that actually giving us more actually burden here um, is a big challenge here. Um, same with, um, with Chris earlier, because we also like uh, handling a few sectors. So we have, um, you know, contract logistics and the sea, air and, and uh, land transport. We have a few challenges, especially when um, we have to deliver in all the, um, the medical equipments and everything, in, um, especially in March, in, in March or, yeah, you know, late March. Uh, it's really, really challenged. Um, you know, when the airlines, they cannot fly because of the lockdown and everything in Papua and all, almost like all across Indonesia. So we really have to switch, um, you know, switch the, the transportations mode and we're trying very hard to, you know, deliver really all the medical equipment and all the, um, you know, all the, the cargo that we have. So we're switching to the sea freight and we use all the, uh, you know, all the, uh, the Roro, yeah, the roll and roll, um, any kind of a transport that we try to reach to the uh, customers, to the end user. So it's a big challenge. The other challenge is like, you know, becoming like after March and April and May, then we face with, um, you know, with the high safety and, um, you know, safety protocol of COVID for the, our operations. Eh? As you said earlier, like um, Chris, Lisa and uh, our company in Blibli and everything, we are the frontliner because our team have you know, to be there doing all the warehousing and everything and doing all the delivery. But on the other hand, um, we really have to scale up our safety. So it becomes more complex, I think, with all the, um, you know, we have to use all the, the, the safety, the mask, the goggles and everything. So the cost, I think then, you know, when you come to that at the end, it's a tough time for everybody, for the customers, but I, I believe it's also tough for all the, um, the logistics player like us, while, you know, the cost is also becoming more and more like, you know, um, you know impacting all in the process. Um, we, we're trying to find a, a, a way here right now. So how to, um, um, to cope with this actually, Ansley, because as you know, whether these uh, customers also like demanding um, saving, you know, they want some competitive, but on the other hand, they want like a very high strict um, safety protocol and everything. So it's quite challenging, I think, for, for us to balance this thing immensely. Uh, yeah. Lisa, Lisa, can I ask, Ivy was describing, uh, and Chris was also describing how they have to sometimes change modes of transport, uh, huh? Governments closing down air routes, literally overnight. Everything has to change. 
have you had to make adjustments to your service levels that you're promising customers? And how have you been able to cope with a significant increase in, presumably, a significant increase in orders? How has that impacted your service levels? Oh, um, thank you, Ansley, for uh, inviting us. Um, well, I think um, it's true. I think um, e-commerce uh, order has been um, increasing because of this pandemic. Um, however, uh, at Blibli, I think um, if um, I may say, we have 17 different categories. Um, that includes um, gadget, uh, electronics, uh, we do have consumer goods, uh, Blibli Mart, and but however, we also have travel, we also have hotel, um, and uh, we do have utilities and pulsa and all that uh, electronic um, uh, payment and all that. And I think because of that variation of a lot of category within our platform, it's kind of balancing out. Um, so there's some category that we've seen a huge jump. Uh, if we say about Blibli Mart, it's about five times what we've uh, seen uh, before the pandemic. But when we talk about category like travel and hotel, as you know, um, that's definitely a huge decline uh, on, on the sales that we've seen as well. So um, if we're talking about the, the balancing uh, of the physical good movement, uh, because we have that many categories, it's actually, you know, the huge jump is not, is not that much. Um, so I think with the surface level itself, uh, I think we also seen uh, customer behavior and expectation changes. Um, in the past, they're still okay uh, to receive the package and using a standard delivery. Let's say if we're talking about Jakarta metropolitan area, they expect about two or three days, still fine. But I think when they're being at home, you know, things becoming um, um, not patient. Uh, if they order now, they expect it to arrive now. <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. So we've seen a, a lot of increase actually from the behavior that we've seen before pandemic. Uh, people used to choose a standard delivery. Uh, now people are tend to choose a same day delivery. Um, you know, they, they move uh, from the traditional um, last mile fulfillment into a more instant uh, delivery. Um, and that, I think, uh, with the help of other um, uh, unicorn uh, in, 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 in a country, I think, uh, or decacorn, whatever you want to call it, in a country, I think it's, it's quite helpful. Uh, I think um, Grab and Gojek is also uh, helping the ecosystem to make it work for the customer. Uh, and uh, I think it, you know, all in all, in terms of the surface level, because we do have, you know, so many uh, what we call delivery partners. Uh, fortunately enough, we don't only work with one, we work with many different uh, surface level. Uh, we work with many different price structure as well. And that, you know, help us in terms of serving the customer better. Um, and uh, besides that, uh, we also have our own um, delivery last mile, which is uh, best. So meaning that um, it, it gives us more uh, control 
on uh, the surface level to our customers. So I think uh, that's from Blibli point of view. Yeah. So, so you haven't necessarily experienced the same uh, challenges that some other countries in Asia and uh, the Western world have faced in, in just getting delivery slots to fulfill on, online orders. That's, you've been able to, to find the people to, have, to do the delivery for you here much easier. Yeah. Yeah, luck, luck, luckily, I think, um, I mean, besides of working with the delivery partners, um, we do have many. Uh, some, some of them, it's um, gaining traction. Um, some of them is also losing traction. I think uh, us, with the, because our partnership has been quite long uh, with all those. So some, some of us uh, are having a very close uh, communications. So we quite understand of what possible and what's not possible. And I think um, how Blibli did it uh, or does it, um, we actually choosing the logistic partner uh, on behalf of the customer. So the, the, the customer is not choosing their own uh, logistic and that us give the ability to control the surface level because we, when we pick the logistic, we want to make sure the first priority is the KPI. The first priority is not the pricing. The first priority is whoever partners that's able to um, deliver at the accurate time, you know, uh, and that um, as, expect, as expected, uh, that um, give us more flexibility in terms of managing that expectations from the customer point of view. So that should be good news for Ivy then. The first priority is not the, the cost, <laughs> the service level, but maybe there's some flexibility. Can, yeah. I, Chris and Ivy, are, are, are you having discussions with some of your customers about changes in their sourcing strategy, their manufacturing strategy? Um, we heard a lot early on in this crisis that too many companies were too China-centric in their sourcing. Are you seeing any potential benefits for the Philippines or Indonesia with your customers potentially splitting up their sourcing and focusing more on sourcing closer to the market, the markets with demand? So I, from the UPS perspective, I, I think those conversations uh, uh, have started. You know, obviously they, they started last year with the, you know, the, the trade issues going on between West and China and now with the pandemic. You know, I think uh, uh, those those conversations are still ongoing. Um, I think there are more opportunities for countries like the Philippines and Indonesia, you know, to make themselves a bit more attractive, so that you know companies can see them as real opportunities for for manufacturing, you know, and, and those kind of areas. But I do see that you're seeing more more countries like Vietnam and even Thailand maybe getting some of that initial push, you know. Prior, uh, before uh, uh, before the Philippines and Indonesia, but those conversations are indeed are indeed happening. Uh, are you seeing that, Ivy, with your some of your customer bases? Yeah, I think we've been also like um, you know talking with them. Like um, they have also impact when you know when they do import everything. It depends on like a few countries um, actually, mm -hmm. and um, we have um, a few times actually since um, you know. Uh, last year, but I think for the past few months, we're trying also to figure out, I mean, like, um, the shifting, the sourcing and everything, like, um, but still, like, we're still, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, which one 
is the best way actually, actually. But it, uh, definitely we're trying to see the pattern and everything. Okay. Uh, Chris, you, you mentioned uh, how important it was to work with all different stakeholders, including government, um, in response to this. I'm, I'm just curious, have you seen any difference in the response between the government in the Philippines and the government in Indonesia in, in terms of supporting um, supply chain logistics? No, I haven't. Um, I, I think that because of how we reacted initially, you know, knowing that uh, as a cargo operator or express operator, whatever, whatever bucket you want to kind of put us in, you know, because we were delivering essential goods and, and, and right out the, the, the block, we were, we were doing PPEs, you know, into and out of, uh, out of, you know, into China when the initial, you know, initial issues were happening in, in February and then out of China, you know, when the pandemic issues started to come down and you started seeing it out, out outside of uh, other countries. So I think because of our, a lot of our team members, government affairs, even myself, you know, we're having proactive conversations knowing that, hey, UPS needs to be continuous out there. Um, I, I haven't seen a difference, you know, in that. And we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to operate. Even the day after the, the, the quarantines were announced, we were, we were still operational. So I, I think that uh, a lot of that has to do with the openness of having conversations from the governments, as well as UPS being proactive in those measures. And Ivy or Lisa, do you have any reflections on how the government's responded here to, to assist on the logistics side? Yeah, I think for the past, um, Ansley, for the past few months, um, you know, I've been engaging also with the, um, with the Kadin, uh, you know, with the Chamber of Commerce in Tunisia and a few, you know, friends from uh, in Jakarta. And there's actually a few, actually, uh, what do you call that? The relaxations from the government. But we're still trying to review because, you know, supply chain logistics is quite, you know, brought up, yeah? I mean, like a broad um, um, unit. We have a land transport and, you know, sea freight and air freight. So we're trying to, um, you know, have it a real impact because sometimes the, for example, in the taxations and uh, in the financial thing, they're trying to give us, um, you know, assist the industry. But I think somehow uh, we're not really, have an impact. It has like a, you know not really positive impact on the industry when the government trying to help. So we we we're still trying. Um, I I know there's a lot of things the government tried to do to help this uh, the industry, but um, you know we're trying to push it again um, that so that the the you know the what do you call that? The, the rules and the new regulations and everything has a real impact on the correct and the right industry, uh, actually. Mm -hmm. I think there are some uh, changes in the land transport and uh, I think in the sea freight, but we're still trying to work out that it has a big impact on the, uh, for, for, the, for the players, actually. But they did, actually, we have a few time discussions and still ongoing discussion until right now for the land transport and, you know, for, for for everything actually, for the sea freight and for the air freight. In, in yeah. terms of, of recovery of global supply chains, I mean, to be honest, from where I sit, I've been, I've been amazed by how quickly a lot of supply chains appear to have, have recovered um, for many different product categories. 
uh, as I say, we, in our business, we've been ordering products, supplies, and, and basically getting them when we expect them. Um, is that is that been your experience, Chris? Have you, have you been surprised by how quickly companies have been able to adjust and, and recover supply chains? I mean, definitely, in, definitely in our industry, for sure. You know, working with a lot of our customers on on a daily basis, um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, the the situation still remains pretty fluid. You know, some countries remain in lockdown. You know, while others are are emerging from lockdowns, some potentially are going to see fresh uh, second waves or third waves. So at the moment, full recovery kind of seems still slow and progressive and not sure whether or not it's going to materialize this year. Um, but as, you know, as like we all, all UPSers try to be, again, we're, we're trying to remain optimistic through this whole thing. I will say that some countries look poised, you know, to come out of this uh, uh, quicker than others, and a lot of it's been their response, you know, uh, uh, when their first batch of cases kind of came out in, in February you know, and, and into March. So I remain cautiously optimistic about it. Okay. We have quite a lot of questions about data and the impact on the supply chain and the ability to, to manage the supply chain with improved data. Lisa, you, you were telling me that uh, Bleed.com basically developed all, all your systems in-house. Uh, presumably, it's quite a lot of effort going into doing that. Yeah. Look, looking forward in the future, what would you like to see in terms of what, what improvements do you think can be made in terms of supply chain uh, transparency, either with your customers or with your uh, suppliers? Yeah, well, I think um, what I've seen, I think the e-commerce industry within the uh, Indonesian market is still quite small. I think uh, if we compare it to the offline transaction that's still happening, um, I think with this pandemic, I think it caught uh, more attention than before on the way people transact. Uh, but then again, uh, I think it's still picking up. Uh, in terms of the supply itself, uh, I think there's still a lot of um, transparency that needs to be built uh, among the supplier and us as the uh, platform. Uh, I think uh, currently it's 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 definitely it's not yet there, um, so that uh, it's it's still an ongoing um, work for this ecosystem of the e-commerce to be built within the Indonesian market. Uh, Ansley, uh, I think I think the homework is still a lot, uh, but then again, I think just to continue on on your uh, question earlier in regard of the government, I think. Um, because of, because of this pandemic, I think uh, we know, as we all know, uh, Indonesian is very, Indonesia is very strong in terms of our OMKM, uh, small, medium enterprise. Um, you know, and, and that, I think uh, the government is trying to um, uh, ask for help for a lot of the e-commerce platform like uh, Blibli um, to kind of making sure that all the players of the OMKM understand on how to leverage uh, e-commerce platform like us. And that also has been uh, quite um, focused uh, in Blibli. I think we have a one dedicated uh, category called Gallery Indonesia, 
which is it's pretty much all the Indonesian uh, producer of uh, local products uh, that we want to actually uh, embrace and giving access uh, to all Indonesian uh, populations market and you know trying to go back to the roots of um, the local producer uh, has to offer too. That, that seems to be quite a common theme throughout the world. There's more, more a focus now of, of sourcing locally yeah. for the local market, which in a way is obviously going to be a good thing um, for, for, for Indonesia, we would hope. Um, Ivy, as a, as a 3PL provider, uh, in, ter in terms of your systems, is, is that big, an area where you're going to make large investments for supply chain yeah. yeah actually even uh, we are we're actually quite lucky I can say that uh, we have um, you know technology and uh, you know digital been has been in our area focusing area for the past few years so we actually heavily invest in, in our IT system for the past few years seriously um, so that's why when this and this coming and uh, you know then suddenly we have to switch from this all online, the meeting and everything. So we sort of like have this already, the platform and, you know, all this system, the connection and we're, we're there already. I think for the PL, you know, like this is basic thing for WMS and TMS and everything. We, we you know, we, we passed everything. So um, we actually right now at the stage of like trying to do the, uh, the AI and, um, you know, trying to, to uh, find things more, I mean, like shifting to automations and everything, but we're still like under, under discussions. Not all can be automated here in Indonesia, like Lisa mentioned earlier, compared with the, um, with the you know, with the minimum weights here and everything. So we're still like under discussion about this, Ansley, but we're actually in the right track in some of the IT investment and everything like that, and, Ansley. And do you typically do that in-house as well? Or you? you uh, no, so. actually we have a partner. We have a strong partner who really expert on this um, thing, uh, but we have a dedicated team as well to um, try to explore and probably a little bit modify because Indonesia is quite challenged and uh, it is different. And different industries sometimes have of different needs. Yeah? So, no, we, we don't build in-house. We, we have a, you know, so it's a partner. Yeah, we have a partner to do that. Okay. Thank you. I, I think we've got someone who's got a specific interest in East Indonesia on remote islands in the archipelago. So, mm. Mr. David Braithwaite, are you there? He's got a, a question. I don't know who, who, are you there, David? Is he there, Chris? This he needs to off mute. David, can you take yourself off mute? There you go. Off mute, David. Good. Is that okay? Yeah, we can hear you. Great, great. Um, yeah, so we've got a, um, a project coming up which is going to involve the distribution of um, equipment uh, in 20-foot containers uh, into the more remote areas of Indonesia, uh, going out into um, the islands to the east. And um, uh, I'm just wondering whether this is a, a good time or not to, uh, to continue with that. There's going to be, um, in, in 
normal times, it's quite uh, difficult to get um, ferries out there, to get um, frequent flights, etc. And I wondered if anybody uh, on the panel has had experience of dealing with business in those sort of further flung uh, parts of Indonesia and um, can, can give an account of what the conditions are there. Is it, um, is it still very difficult to get there? And do you think that um, um, they're all suffering from cutbacks in the uh, budgets, which the local government have uh, asked, I think, for all of their, um, uh, all of their people? So you've got a project that requires a lot of shipments to NTT or Papua or places like that. And you're, That's you're, correct. And you're yeah. wondering whether or not you should maybe postpone or delay? It's, yes, whether it's better. It's too disruptive at the moment. I mean, yeah. Ivy, do you supply, do, do, do yeah. you handle a lot of these places? Maybe some business? Yeah, I, I think, um, yes, Ansley, I'm happy to um, you know, try to answer this, uh, David. Um, sure. So actually delivering to, um, to the eastern part of uh, Indonesia to, um, if you say, if you mean it's in Papua, uh, we okay. do actually still deliver, is it Papua you mean here? Well, could be, but actually more um, places like Moratai, um, uh, further east, I think. Sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, actually until now, until today, we still do um, uh, delivery the goods to the, all over Indonesia and especially to, um, to Papua, uh, to the eastern part of uh, Indonesia. Because um, Surabaya definitely is the hub for East Indonesia, uh, as far as my knowledge, because a lot of us shipping liners and everything is the, um, you know, they start from Surabaya. Um, they're still doing it normally, so whether it's 20 footers, 40 footers, um, any kind of shipment by sea freight, I think would be um, um, still doing it normally right now, because we still actually deliver those kind of, you know, um, it's just like every day, we're doing that every day for, for domestic shipment, uh, David. So I, I don't see any, any, any issue right now, yeah. Is, is it is those shipments though taking a little bit longer in terms of um, checks, uh, maybe health related checks um, uh, that are uh, you know the sort of bureaucracy um, for good reason? Is that slowing things down, or do you find that uh, there's no? I've, no, I find it's still normal right now. So we still maintain, uh, you know, we still deliver the cargo the container to. Um, Sulawesi, Papua, Kalimantan, but we still maintain the same lead time because we know the lead time to all the destination, but we still keep it that way. I mean, we still can maintain the surface level for, you know, for the customers there. So there's, there's not much changes, actually. Yeah, not much changes, even the okay, lockdown. Well, there you go, David. You, you can, there we are. Your business doesn't need to be disrupted. Back in gear. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank um, you. A question for uh, Chris and Ivy. Uh, the air freight rates have gone up globally um, and, and for the supply demand reasons that Chris uh, referenced earlier, they're probably likely to, to remain to higher than they were, say, against last year. Do you get any perspective on what might happen with road freight and ocean freight? Are we likely to see 
um, a step up in, in costs overall, and um, therefore rates charged back to customers. How do you see logistics costs over the next two, two or three years? So yeah. I think demand is going to continue to increase as, as countries open up, even with the capacity constraints that currently kind of weigh on the industries. Mm -hmm. um, we've already seen freight costs likely be on the uptrend as a result of that, and, and carrier space is, is going to remain limited even with the lockdowns uh, relaxing. As, as I said earlier, with the previous question, it's still kind of fluid, and we're trying to monitor, you know, the trends uh, both in each of the individual countries as globally, uh, as well as global, globally. So, um, I think the higher cost during this period is going to help us balance the challenges of the of what we're seeing as a dynamic mar market. Um, you're seeing customers, obviously, who have been previously used to sea freight, you know, or air freight, moving to express because that capacity was the only uh, uh, thing available. And you know, as as some commercial carriers come back, um, you may see a little bit of an exodus to those, you know, to back to the traditional forwarder model. Um, but given that some of those commercial carriers have some time, you know, to make up, right? They, they, I mean, if they haven't operated for for two or three months. You may see you may see a spike, you know, in those rates, and as a result, maybe they continue to work with you know existing express carriers. You know, like like us or, or you know or our industry partners. Um, so it's it's really kind of difficult to determine. I still think we're gonna we're gonna be in for a little bit of a run, you know, of rates being on the high side. Probably, you know, I would say through this year. You know, um, but again, you know, depending on how the lockdowns in individual countries go, you know, depending on reopening of of specific areas and and whether or not specific industries come back. Is, is really going to be impacting what those rates look like. Um, what do you th see happening in Indonesia, Ivy, over the next couple of years in terms of rates? Yeah, before, you know, honestly, this is quite unique here in Indonesia because uh, the domestic shipment, I mean, like within Indonesia, is actually not regulated by the government. So it really depends on the market, like a few players mastering this, um, this area. So even without, you know, it's really, really actually volatile. Uh, it really depends on the, uh, you know, the, the, the seasons and everything. So with or without COVID, I think like even right now, the, before COVID, the, the, the freight is already like higher. So even with COVID, it's, it, it, I don't think and I don't see any, you know, um, quite big changes in terms of the, uh, the, the market, the, the rate for the, the sea freight. So it really depends on the market, really, actually here. Uh, unless something happened with the government, if they probably interfere with the rate, uh, that's probably a different case. But as long as the uh, is uh, really controlled by the market, uh, I, I think things will be the same. Yeah, it's really domestic, volatile. Yeah. Domestic shipping rates here are actually quite high. Mm, it's true. And it's cheaper to send goods from China to Jakarta than it is to send from Sulawesi to Jakarta. Sometimes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because yeah. we lack of the uh, the inbound. I mean, like, it's yes. a lot of uh, you know, Java will be the center of the uh, you know the sourcing place, but we lack of the inbound from those you know other islands back to the Java. So you know, delivery to Papua probably costs like fifteen twenty million. Uh, it's cheaper to freight to Hong Kong maybe right now. No? Yes. 
Chris, Rain, I'm conscious that we're coming up to, towards the end of the, the hour. Um, have you got any questions coming in? I'm struggling to read the, the webinar chat. Any questions coming in from people want to pose? Let's see if I can get it back up. Quite a few people have asked, uh, this would be a question for all of you. Have you been able to adjust to the new safety protocols easily or, uh, to ensure that your staff are well protected at all times? Has that been a challenge? Uh, have you had to reduce manning levels until you're able to, to adjust accordingly? Yeah, so I mean, from the UPS perspective, I, I, I think we, I mean, listen, we're all human beings, right? A lot of us are, you know, there's a lot of fear going around. And, and part of it is, at least for me and my management team, both in the Philippines and Indonesia, was having direct conversations with people who were either delivering goods, you know, those real frontliners who are going out every day doing pickups and deliveries, as well as even, you know, the folks that are in our warehouses, in our hubs, you know, moving packages through, you know, through our network. Um, showing our face and being out there with them, I think, helped ease that. Um, but at the same time, absolutely, you have to make sure that you have the right, you know, equipment. You have to make sure that you have the mask, you have sanitizer, you know, you're doing regular disinfection, you know, because otherwise, uh, and plus you have local guidelines to consider as well. And I think initially, you know, in the first week or so, we, we, you know, maybe we had some trouble getting supplies, but once you kind of get into the routine, it's hard to imagine life pre-COVID now, honestly, it's, it's weird. Um, uh, and so I, I think we've adjusted quite nicely to that, to that and, and try to adjust people's concern as they come up individually and collectively. Ivy? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we have the same, probably the same issue, like um, in the beginning, uh, actually, because it's like suddenly we have to wear everything, you know, goggles, masks and everything. Uh, and we also having a really challenge to get those equipment uh, in the beginning, it was very expensive and everything. But I think after a few weeks, um, uh, you know, things becoming more normal. And um, in terms of the supply, then we have like now quite stable supply and everything. Um, we provide all the our operations and um, all the offices with the, um, with the you know with the minimum standard from the um, from the health department. So we following that we have the PCP. Uh, it becomes like a new normal for us right now, just to follow all these um, the safety standards. Uh, it's been our priority from the beginning, and uh, with with Corona, I think it's more becoming more and more um, um, priority for us right now. The challenge, I think, um, uh, Ansley, once they leave, the, we can always remind them when they're inside the, uh, the properties and uh, you know, our warehouse, our office and everything. But once they leave the building, um, that's another story. So what the best that we can do, we have always like, a, you know, the morning briefing, you know, probably the DOR and everything where we keep reminding them in the morning, in the evening. Uh, so that kind of thing that we try to keep reminding the team. So we do all kind of the media, uh, internal media, internal communication, just to reminding them how dangerous actually is the, um, you know, this uh, COVID. Hmm? And we really put um, their safety at our priority, Ansley. Is that the same experience for you, Lisa? Yes, uh, of course, because uh, we need to focus on the safety of our employee and also the 
trust from our customer buying at our platform. I think um, it's really, really necessity uh, for our um, staff to actually change the behavior of the safetyness. Uh, it's not easy, uh, but we do uh, everything uh, we can uh, to make sure that it is very important because um, this pandemic, it's unseen uh to everyone and uh it is it is it is really really what we call the new normal so i think uh, everyone needs to understand that uh impact and and, and and anyone needs to really think on the safety of the consumer uh that really really uh buying our products and um and and and, and I, I think I'm, I'm just gonna see it as surfacing uh surfacing the customer uh mm -hmm. By, by doing this, uh, because it is, it is, it is really, really um, unseen uh, virus that, that we have. Yeah, I, when, when I look at it sometimes, uh, being able to, this, this epidemic and the education we're able to do with the staff, actually it's, it's improved the way we operate and, and take care of each other and respect each other at work. There's actually some positives to come out of this. and, and I don't know how you feel, but some of, the changes were, some of the changes were made. Actually, we probably should have made them in the past. I know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I think, you know, being cautious, um, being um, really care and rethink again. Uh, I think um, it, even uh, we implement on uh, end of March uh, what we call as a contactless shipping. Um, so we do we do have that in place so we just took a picture we don't need any signature when we're handing over the packages you know uh, two meter away uh, you know all, all those uh, all, all those uh, behavior needs to change so people get more comfortable and we also uh, seen a lot of empathy coming from customer as well uh, we've seen our courier getting a vitamins from our customers um, you know, getting rings uh, and all that. And I mean, you know, the humanity is there. Uh, I think um, we're taking it as, as part of the uh, new behavior and new empathy in the new world. Yeah. Well, I think that's a very positive note to, to conclude on. That's great. I mean, it's, it's, people talk about the new normal. I just... I, Personally, I, I don't like to talk about a new normal. It just, it's just an adjustment. Businesses have to adjust periodically, and this is, this is one of these adjustments we, we have to make. Uh, Chris Rain, are you there? We run out of, I think we've run out of time, haven't we? we um, we're, we're more or less running out of time. I, the, there have been a couple of questions around okay, this issue of regulation. Do you want to fire away the ones I've yeah. missed? Um, I, Ivy, you mentioned that uh, Indonesia is regulative, regula um, is fairly deregulated or there is no regulation around domestic uh, logistics. Um, and a couple of questions around whether actually regulation would benefit the sector, um, uh, which seems a bit strange from a chamber point of view because most of our lobbying tends to be around uh, trying to get loosen bureaucracy, not to, not to create more of it. But, but what are your views on that? Do you think it would do you think it would be beneficial to the sector? And then Lisa, just a quick, quick reply from what Ivy says, and then we will wrap, um, you know, would it, would it improve the delivery of your e-commerce? Right, thanks, Grace. 
Um, I think this kind of, um, you know, this pattern been here for so many years already in, in the, you know, in, in the domestic market. And I, I think it's in, in, the, in my opinion, I think by far, uh, probably so far looking at the whole conditions, maybe this is like suitable for now. Um, so we can, as long as we can talk, we can, you know, um, negotiate with them. That would be better, probably, Chris, right now. But somehow, in a certain point, um, I think we need to regulate in in certain area. Um, but for now, I think all the three PLs, all the customers, probably also enjoying this, um, you know, this kind of market right now. What happened in Indonesia, Chris? For now, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, so it works at the moment. It's not broken. Don't fix it. But maybe later it. It will need attention, uh, Lisa. Um, sorry, Chris. Can you please repeat on what you've asked? Do you, do you think the delivery of uh, your overall e-commerce product would be would benefit from tighter or the introduction of regulation with regards to domestic logistics? I think uh, eventually everyone needs to adjust and uh, what the regulations gonna be. I think again, uh, as I said before, I think it's for the good and the better of the consumer. Um, you know, that trust need to be there. I think we're as the provider of services needs to follow um, because otherwise this pandemic will never end uh, or at least we're, we'll never be at peace. Um, Virus. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, I think we also need to learn. I think uh, what's, what's a good thing as well about this is what we've seen is uh, opportunity uh, to actually revisit of what we've done in the past. Uh, we've been able to do a lot of process improvement and push a lot of, um, you know, low hanging fruits that we've never looked before. Uh, and, and, and that give us more efficiency uh, internally, I think. Uh, I think with this pandemic, I think uh, it pushed a lot of company like us, uh, especially who operate at the big scale, on how to do uh, more efficiencies and uh, getting a lot of uh, cost reduction on, on different areas. I think it give us more creativity in terms of tackling the issue. Uh, and, and hoping that the new balance would be would be the new world, with the new norm. I think uh, I think you know we need to be do what we need to be doing. I mean, it, it's need to be done for the safety of everyone. Thank thank you very much. And I, I think, as Ainsley mentioned, that we're, we're finishing on a great positive. It's a double-edged sword. I think Indonesia, from a logistics perspective, is quite quite heavily regulated. For example, it's very difficult for foreign companies to operate in this market, whether it be shipping, with airlines, or whatever. So there's quite a lot of regulation here that maybe doesn't encourage as much competition as there perhaps could be. And the more competition, you tend to, you tend to drive innovation quicker, uh, efficiencies quicker, and ultimately, um, costs start to come down. So yeah. you can ask for, be careful what you ask for, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Ainsley, Ainsley yeah. thank you for that. And as you said earlier, I think there have been a number of positives uh, that have come out of this particular conversation. Thanks for leading the conversation, Ainsley. Thank you to our panelists, to, to Chris, uh, UPS, Lisa from Blue Blee, 
um, and also IV from Kamajai Logistics. Um, thank you again to our uh, sponsor and partner for today, uh, GPA, and to other businesses that are out there watching these webinars. Uh, we are very much open at, and looking for partnership opportunities from you, and we have a very flexible approach as to how we can uh, bespoke them and put them together for you. Um, just to bring your attention to a couple of um, a couple of webinars coming up. Um, In Love with English Football uh, is on Thursday, and um, it's taken a bit of a twist. The uh, panelists for that one because this is about Tranmere Rovers Football Club, which is uh, been actively involved in the twinning between Liverpool City and Surabaya City um, and also Oxford United. Both of those teams are in League One in English football and last week uh, that particular league decided it would be it would finish, it would not restart the season. That has meant Tranmere go down automatically and Oxford get the chance to play in the playoffs to go up. Uh, hugely contrasting fortunes but the one common thing between both is they both have Indonesian investment from Bakri Group and Santini Group and uh, we'll be joined by the Tranmere chairman as well Mark Palios who was in fact the uh, former chair of the Football Association. So that's going to be a very fascinating conversation in particular understanding what is behind their interest and investment in English football and uh, how does that inv investment benefit bilateral relations between the UK and Indonesia, trade, communities, the development of football and a whole load else. And then the following Tuesday, Tuesday the 23rd, so I'll just highlight two of a number coming up, uh, we have a farewell State of the Nation uh, presentation by Sumit Dutta, the President Director of Pete HSBC Indonesia. They're also the Britcham patrons as well. Summit will be leaving uh, after more than four years um, on June the 30th. Um, he usually says a few words to Britcham members and guests at our AGM, which on this occasion, of course, has been postponed. Um, and he will be joined uh, representing the property sector by uh, Cushman and Wakefield and also representing retail and, uh, and, and a transition to e-commerce from Mitra Adi Pakasa as well. Um, so that is on uh, Tuesday of next week. With that, uh, I would just like to thank uh, all panelists here present. Thank you very much for the uh, time that you have given to Britchem's members and all of those guests and a reminder to those guests, please, uh, our team are noticing that you've been enjoying and take advantage, taking advantage of these Britcham offerings and we'll be pitching you for membership when things get a little bit more back to normal. Um, Agile Logistics to be a member. Sorry? Can't. Ivy's company, I think, needs to be a member. Oh, absolutely. She's nodding there, soon, aren't you, soon. Ivy? <laughs> aren't you, Ivy? You're nodding. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you for that. To, to, to everybody, as usual, our, our, our message, follow guidance, stay safe, and we look forward to seeing many of you and many of your friends and networks on future BritJam webinar offerings. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.